want to encourage you to take your Bibles and open them with me to Colossians chapter 1. We're going to be continuing where Pastor Paul left off last week as we're uh, studying through the book of Colossians. Remember that Colossians is a letter Paul wrote to Colossian, the Christians in Colossae. They, uh, Paul had never seen them face to face, but he heard of their faith, and he wanted to write to encourage them and correct some things that they had misunderstandings on. They had some um, false teachers who were Gnostics in the church trying to bring a philosophy that was growing in that day and time and bring it into the church, and it was corrupting the teachings of Scripture. And Paul was combating some of that. And so we are picking up here in Colossians chapter 1, Verse 24, and we're going to read through the end of the chapter, so follow along with me. I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church. Now Paul is, is saying here that he's, going to, he's rejoicing, even though he's suffering as a minister of the gospel, as someone who's preaching the gospel of Christ, he is suffering greatly for it, but he's rejoicing in it. And he's glad to suffer for them, for the saints of God, for the church of God. He's willingly and glad, he gladly suffers for the sake of the church. Not just for the sake of Christ, but that first and foremost. But he said, for the church, for the sake of the body of Christ. See, Christ, Paul did not just love Christ, he loved the Church, the body of Christ. Do you see something very strange happening in our culture today? People say, well, I, I love Christ, but I don't have time for the church. That is so anti-biblical. That is so anti-Bible. It is so anti, really, against what Christ taught. Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. And if you are truly in the spirit of Christ, you will not only love Christ, you will love his Church, the body of Christ. And if you love somebody, you want to be with them, right? How many of you have ever seen somebody, they, I just love so-and-so, but they never want to be around them? If you love people, you want to be with them. If you love people, you want to be right with them. Have you ever loved somebody and you weren't right with them? It grieves you, doesn't it? It breaks you. So you want to get right with them. But yet people say, well, I love Christ, and they go to church, and they might have a disagreement at church and they'll go off and live and I'm not going to go back to church again. Well, you know what that shows? You don't love the church. Because if you love somebody, you want to be what? Right with them. You want to be with them and you want to be right with them. And so we see here, Paul loves the church and he gladly suffers, not just for the sake of Christ, but for, sake of, but for the sake of the body of Christ, which is the church. And of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me uh, uh, for you to fulfill the word of God. Now I like the way the ESV says it, to, uh, uh, to make fully known the word of God. To make fully known the word of God. And that's what Paul wants to do, make fully world. I'm so glad we have a pastor here at Lake Wildwood Baptist Church who wants to make fully known the word of God. Not partly known, not just a, the, the parts that people like to hear, but the whole part, the whole word of God fully known. And we go on to hear that said, the mystery 
which has been hidden from ages and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of the mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I also labor, striving according to His working, which works in me mightily. Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your Word. You've given us Your Word for a purpose. And I pray through Your Spirit that Your Word would work its purpose in each of our lives today. Lord, there are those of us who are believers and, and, uh, uh, and we are uh, struggling with things right now and we need your word to clarify things in our heart and mind, to correct our attitudes, our way of thinking that, that need to be, to be encouraged, to keep on doing the work that you've caused to do in the gospel. And Lord, there are, there are some here today that that uh, might know about you, but they don't know you. They've never truly been born again. They have a knowledge of you, but they don't know you personally. Christ does not live in them. They've never been truly born again. And I pray, Lord, that great work you did for me as a 17-year-old teenager in a, in a revival service, under a tent, in a tent revival service, that you would open their hearts and eyes to see uh, uh, the truth of your word. Uh, their need for Christ, to repent of the sin and put their faith in Christ. And Lord, to, to be a born-again child of God by your grace. And whatever our need is today, we all are needy. Would you accomplish that purpose and that need in our lives, that we can go out and love you and serve you the way that we should. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You know, what are we to do in times like these? What are we to do? People asking that question, what are we going to do? Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll do what the Apostle Paul says here in verses 28 and 29. He says, Him we preach. What are we going to do in our culture and our time and in this country? We're going to do what we should have been doing all along. We're going to preach Him. Him we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, we need to labor, striving according to His working, which I would hope and pray would work mightily in us. We're to keep Christ at the center of all of our thoughts and all of our actions. What does that mean, preacher? That means in everything. In everything that you think about, in everything that you do, Christ needs to be at the center of it. Everything. Whether it's in school and you're doing your school work, whether it's home and you're watching something on television, or whether it has to do with politics, or whether it has to do with anything in life, your work and how you do your work at your job, Christ needs to be at the center of all of our thoughts and actions in the good times as well as the bad times. It doesn't matter. That needs to be our focus. One of the ways we keep Christ at the center is to keep the gospel front and center of all that we do. 
Because you cannot separate the gospel from Christ or Christ from the gospel. They come together. And the more we think about the gospel, I promise you, if you would be thinking about the gospel while you're at work, it will affect the way you do your work. Because you don't want to defame the name of Christ and the gospel by being a what? A slouch at work. Or be a negative, a, a, a person that's hard to get along with at work. So regardless, and when we think about, and whatever we do, when we think about Christ and the gospel, it won't only affect what we do at work, it'll affect the way we do our leisure time. For example, if whatever you like to do is a hobby, if you're out fishing, or I have a buddy, an older buddy I like to fish it with, and every time I would go out fishing with him, no matter who he would saw, he would make a, get around to a way of meeting somebody that we just, another fisherman in the boat or at the dock, of inviting that person to church. So whatever you're doing, uh, you're going to be thinking about Christ and the gospel is at the center. And we're not going to get into politics, but politics is a big thing today. If we really thought about kept Christ at the center and the gospel at the center of politics, it would really affect the way we deal with politics as Christians. So Christ needs to be at the center of it all. In verses uh, 20 through 30, Pastor Paul focused on Christ's work of reconciliation as revealed in the gospel. This week we're going to continue with the theme of the gospel and what it means to work hard for the gospel. Yes, I said work hard. Now I know that's a four-letter word to some. <laughs> Count it. Four. Hard is not a word that we what? We like to work hard for the gospel. Hard work is often not fun work. We all like fun work, right? Fun, everybody does fun work, why? Because it's fun. We enjoy it. If all work was fun, there'd be a, good, a whole lot to be getting done around here, wouldn't there? But hard work is often not fun work. It is often frustrating and fruitless. Anybody ever do any uh, frustrating, fruitless work? Raise your hand. <laughs> I find myself doing that a lot. I was up under my Jeep trying to get the part to take it off and replace it. It was so difficult. I didn't have the jacks and stuff I needed, so I didn't have a lot of room up under there. And uh, it was hard to get to it. didn't have the tools and the extensions that I needed, really, I wanted but I worked so hard to get it off, busting my knuckles, fresh stuff falling in your face, in your eyes. And then you know, oh, there's another tool I need to go get. And you have to get back out and get under again. And it takes more time than it should. And, and you finally get it off. And lo and behold, you took off the wrong part. <laughs> yes. And you want to say some wordy dirds. But you don't, hopefully. And it's, it's, it was so hard and then frustrating and fruitless. It was a complete waste of time. Anybody, is that just me? Yeah. <laughs> yes, it could be. But hard work is often frustrating and, and uh, fruitless. 
You know, there are many things in life that we can devote our energies and time to in this life. Some are worth it, and others are not worth it. But one thing is always worth it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is always worth our best efforts. And I thought about this. You know what? I could take the wrong part off my Jeep. I could do something wrong with working on my Jeep. Listen, I could never share the gospel with the wrong person. <laughs> Think about that. You can never share the gospel with the wrong person. Why? Because everyone needs to hear the gospel. What if you share the gospel with the saved person? It doesn't matter. It will encourage them. I was the other day sharing the gospel with somebody at the gym. I didn't know somebody else was listening to it. And they came up to me. That was awesome that you were sharing the gospel. That so encouraged me. I needed to hear that. So you just, you, the point, you could never, and I thought maybe, should I have been sharing with somebody else? Was that the wrong person? No, you can never share the gospel with the wrong person because everybody needs the gospel. Now you share the gospel with somebody, they get mad. Was that the wrong person? No. God makes people mad with the gospel. That's part of the gospel's job is to make what? People mad. It's also part of the gospel to make people glad. Some people are glad to hear it. So whether they're glad or mad, you, when you share the gospel with people, you didn't share it with the wrong person. I like that I cannot mess that up. Now I can mess up the gospel by not pro proclaiming the gospel correctly, but I can never mess it up by choosing who I share it with or not because everybody needs it. Paul says in verse 25, uh, his job, I like again the way the ESV puts it, was to make the word of God fully known. To make the word of God fully known. Now I'll tell you what, what is the word of God fully known? The word of God fully known is the gospel. That's what the word of God is all about. Now it has a lot of different things it deals with. But when you sum it all up, the word of God fully known is the gospel. It's not to live your best life now, as some preachers write books and sell. At least not in living your best life now in the sense that they portray it in the books. It is about living your best life now when that means what? Dying to yourself, taking up your cross daily and following Christ. That is your best life now and your best life when? Forever from now. But that's not what they're talking about. But a lot of people, preachers, they want to take the Bible and give you little how-to sermons, how to make your life better, how to do this or whatever. That's not the full Word of God fully known. I'm thankful again we have a pastor that preaches the Word of God to make it fully known. And it is the gospel. The gospel is the culmination of God's plan which he proclaimed in the very beginning after Adam and Eve willfully sinned against him, bringing his righteous judgment upon them and all their sinful descendants that were to follow. That's us. Now, when the, you, maybe you've heard this term. How many of you have heard this term? I mean, this phrase. 
The scarlet thread of redemption. Raise your hand if you've heard that. The scarlet thread of redemption. That's a, a theological phrase that people have used to describe the gospel being portrayed throughout the Old Testament. The, uh, the scarlet thread of redemption. Scarlet is the color of blood. And a thread is what you do to what? Weave things together to tie everything together. The scarlet thread of redemption. And that's what Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 15 when he, when he proclaimed what the gospel was. He told, I'm going to be faithful with the gospel that was delivered to me. And this is the gospel. Are you ready? According to the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verses 3 and 4. That Christ died for our scriptures. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the... Now what scriptures was he talking about? The Old Testament. didn't have the New Testament scriptures yet. Certainly fully. He was talking about the Old Testament. The gospel is what? What the Old Testament is all about. All about. So it said Christ died for our sins that we're sinners. Christ died, shed his blood. And he rose again for our, uh, for our sins according to the scriptures. Now the scarlet thread of redemption is interwoven through the entire Old Testament story and can be seen in more accounts of biblical history than we have time to tell this morning. I really, I would not have the time to just mention all of them to you today. It begins, though, as it weaves together the hides of the animals God slaughtered in the Garden of Eden to provide uh, garments to cover Adam and Eve. After he had promised to raise up a seed from the woman that was going to crush the serpent's head. That scarlet thread of redemption also snared that ram in the, in the thickets that, provided, that was provided in Isaac's behalf so Isaac would not be sacrificed on the Mount Moriah where Abraham proclaimed, Jehovah Jireh, my Lord will provide. It stained the doorpost in Egypt and kept God's judgment of death from entering in the homes of those who applied the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. It trickled down the God-ordained altars throughout the Old Testament to provide the picture of atonement, what God was going to do for us in Christ. That scarlet thread of redemption is descri described in Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53, the sufferings of the coming Savior in more graphic detail than even the Gospels do. Read Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. It will give you more detail about the sufferings of Christ and what it was about to accomplish than even the Gospels do. That blood-red cord binds the Old Testament to John the Baptist's introduction of Jesus when he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and binds the Savior to that Roman cross at Golgotha where Jesus cried out, It is finished. It's completed. It's done. All of what the Old Testament talked about is now completed in my work on the cross. The gospel is, as Paul describes here, the word of God fully known. The word of God fully known. 
It is the reason we are all here this morning. Nothing is more important than believing the gospel and sharing it with people. And therefore, the gospel is worthy of our greatest efforts. As Paul was talking about, it was worthy of his greatest efforts. Does that mean it should be less for us? We learn from Paul's example that there is no effort that is uh, too much nor sacrifice that is too great for the sake of the good news of Jesus Christ. So here's a question. Why do we constantly, constantly need to be reminded of its importance? Why? Do we have to be? Yeah, we do. Why do we constantly need to be motivated to do the work, to do the, the hard work, to sacrifice and even be willing to suffer for the good news of Christ, that it may go out? And listen, why does it have to go out? Why does the gospel need to go out? Why can't people just somehow what? Find it. It's because of what Paul talks about here. Two words, mystery and hidden. Two words he uses here. The mystery and the word hidden. Paul describes... this Word of God more fully known, the Gospel, as a mystery. Now, I don't want you, when you hear the word mystery, I don't want you thinking of Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes, okay? Don't be thinking, or of Columbo. Don't be thinking of that trying to solve this mystery. It's, it's, it's really not that. A mystery means something that was hidden and undiscoverable by human means. It is something secret. That can only be known when God chooses to reveal it. That's what secret means. The mystery, the word mystery absolutely, absolutely means secret. Mystery, secret. A mystery is something that I guess can never be, really be known. A secret can be known. If the person who knows the secret, what? Reveals it. So the secret. Now the word hidden, that word hidden, hidden literally means kept secret. The secret kept secret. The mystery hidden means the secret kept secret. How many of you have ever known a secret before? Had a secret? Raise your hand. How many of you kept the secret? <laughs> I know some people's their idea of keeping a, keeping a secret is telling one person at a time. <laughs> Yeah. But God had a secret. And he didn't fully make it known to not even the Old Testament prophets. They didn't fully comprehend it and understand it. This mystery in the New Testament refers to truth. Truth that was hidden until now, but revealed for the first time to the saints in the New Testament. New Testament. For even, listen, the last really, John the Baptist was really considered the last of the kind of Old Testament prophets. 
And he actually saw Jesus and he said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. But did he fully understand it? No, he did not. Because even toward the end he questioned, Are you really the one? He was confused. But it was there all along in the Old Testament. I remember being in Jerusalem and our guide was a Jew. He was not a Christian Jew. He was a Jew. And, you know, we were praying for him. You know, they, 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 they get witnessed to all the time. <laughs> they get the Christians coming over there. And, uh, and so our, our Andy uh, Cook, who I went to Israel with, has said, listen, don't, he's heard it. Just pray for him. I've shared with him. He's, he just, what Andy said, he just needs to really see. He's already heard the message. He needs to see it real in us. And uh, so, you know, we, we try. And I, I was just burdened because one of my things I had to do for the trip was I had to memorize the last part of Isaiah 52 and all of Isaiah 53 as we had our devotion in the Garden of Gethsemane. I had to memorize it to quote it. Somebody else had the job to memorize Psalm 22 to quote it. I'm sorry, but we were burdened for him. He, he hung around us the whole time, but during that time... He would walk off, but he was at a distance. He could hear us. And I was just burdened because it's so clear. Today, when you read Psalm 22 and you read Isaiah 53, it's so clear it's talking about Jesus. It is so clear, but they can't see it. How can they not see it? They love the Old Testament scriptures, but they can't see it. And I just remember being so burdened as I'm quoting that. For our group, but I, I, he's on my mind. And, and, and the Jewish people, on my mind. And lo and behold, a, a few days later, he and Andy had a conversation. Now, he hadn't become a Christian. His name is Boaz. I hope he has by now. I know he hasn't as of last year. But pray for him. But he told Andy two days later, he said, uh, if somebody put a gun to my head and say, you have to make a decision about Christ. Who is Christ? Has he come or is he coming? Who is it? He said, if somebody put a gun to my head, I would have to say it was Jesus. But he still has not turned to him. It's, it's hidden. It's there in plain sight to see, but yet somehow it's, it's hidden. It was hidden to me. I grew up in a Bible-believing, uh, uh, Bible-preaching church with a pastor who was there for 50 years who preached the gospel Sunday in and Sunday out. And it went in one ear and out the next. You would ask me, Jay, are you a Christian? Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I go to church. I was baptized. There's no baptistry here. I was baptized. Baptistries in most churches are in the back. I was baptized, yeah. But none of that makes somebody a child of God. But I thought that. The gospel, I had actually memorized gospel script, script, scriptures in Romans that show you our, our, that we're sinners and that, we, uh, that we're, we're lost and hopeless in ourselves and, and that we're saved by the grace of God and grace alone and we must have repentance toward God and faith toward Christ. And I memorized all those, but it never dawned on me, Jay, you've never done that. 
until that one Sunday evening under a revival tent in Pawpaw, West Virginia, where God supernaturally opened my eyes to see it. God has to reveal it. Has God revealed it to you? It's a mystery. It's hidden un, until now, but revealed for the first time to the, uh, to the saints of the New Testament, New Covenant, which, are, which we are. Now, such mysteries, there's more than just this aspect of it, but the mysteries that it talks about in the New Testament, there are five of them that, I, that I'm, I'm going to mention here very quickly. Uh, one is the mystery of the, incar the incarnate God, the, uh, the incarnation of, of, of God. It says here in chapter 2, verse 9 of Colossians, For in Him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In the Old Testament, we, we see uh, the Old Testament mentioning that in certain ways, but not fully comprehended or understood, but made clear through the New Testament Scriptures that God became flesh. The mystery of, another mystery is the mystery of Israel's unbelief while Gentiles would become believers. That's also mentioned in the Old Testament scriptures. That, uh, that the uh, Gentiles will come to Christ, will flood to Christ. Nations will come to Christ and uh, turn to Him while uh, uh, many of the Jews would not. That's also, as it says in Romans chapter 11, for I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of, the myst of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. So there's a blindness still on God's chosen people. They can't see it. And that is going to continue until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. There's also another mystery. The mystery of the unity of Jews and Gentiles made one in the church. Ephesians 3, verses 3 through 6 talk about this. How that by revelation he made known to me the mystery which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men as it has been now revealed. As it, it was made known, but not the way it's being made known now. By the Spirit to his holy apostles and prophets, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ through the gospel. What you need to understand, there's this uh, uh, replacement theology. That is a, is a heresy. Nobody's replacing. We're not taking place of, of God's chosen people. We are grafted into them. We have become part of them. We are one with them. The word church is not a new, it's just a, a word for the assembly together, together. It's not like a new theological idea. God has brought us into His chosen people. And it's a mystery, and they didn't see that. And it goes on to say in verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery from which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. That was a mystery. Another mystery is the rapture of the church. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, Paul says, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. Remember Job. He said, you know, God might kill me or whatever, but I know one day in my flesh I will 
see God. But yet you had a lot of people not believing in the resurrection, but Job did. And Paul talks about it here. He said, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. One day we're all going to have new glorified bodies, fleshly bodies, glorified bodies. And then number five, the gospel of Christ. That's a mystery. It's not, it, wasn't, it was preached in the Old Testament, but not fully comprehended and understood. Colossians 4.3 says this, Meanwhile, praying also for us that God would open us to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ for which I'm also in chains. Paul said it's our job to preach the mystery, to, to make this known. Now we can't do it in a, of our own abilities. It must take what? The Holy Spirit of God working with the word of God that we share to make this known to people. In Romans chapter 16, verse 25, the Apostle Paul wrote this. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery kept secret since the world began, but now made manifest by the prophetic scriptures made known to all nations, according to the commandment of the everlasting God for obedience to the faith, to God, Alone wise, be glory through Jesus Christ forever. Amen. And then also in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, it says this. Of this salvation, the prophets have inquired and searched carefully uh, who prophesied of the grace that would come to you. Now what Peter said here. You know this gospel that I'm preaching, this salvation I'm preaching to you? The Old Testament prophets, they inquired, they searched carefully about this matter. They're the ones who prophesied it, but they didn't what? Fully comprehend it or understand it. But they wanted to. They searched diligently, uh, carefully to. Searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand of the sufferings of Christ and the glories that were to follow. They were prophesying the sufferings. They were prophesying the glory that would follow it. But they didn't what? Fully understand it. But they were still trusting God for it. See, the Old Testament saints, did they fully understand what God was going to do in Christ? No. But they were trusting that, as, I, as Abraham said, Instead of Abraham having to offer his son Isaac, God provided what? That ram that was caught in the thicket. And he offered that up instead. He said, the Lord will provide himself a sacrifice. They, they didn't understand it completely, but they looked forward to it. They trusted God would. Now we on the other side, we look back what God has done. And we put our trust in that. And so they were, the prophets were searching diligently, trying to understand all of this. Verse 12 goes on to say, To them it was revealed that not only to themselves, but to us they were ministering these things, which now have been reported to you through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Listen, I love this phrase. These, these things, things 
which angels desire to look into. You know what the, desire, the angels desire to look into? The gospel and the workings of the gospel and all that means. Things which the angels desire to look into. What are you desiring to look into? You know, I'm desiring to look into the draft for the Falcons. I, you know, we're, we're, our football season's over with. I'm desiring to see who we're, hopefully, I want a quarterback. I'm, those are things I'm interested in looking into. I can go on some other things that we're all interested in looking to, right? Do you have different hobbies, different things you'd like to look into? And, uh, but the thing that I desire to look into most is to see the gospel at work in people's lives. Boy, that's interesting. You know, when you hear about somebody, well, so-and-so, God's dealing with them. You ever heard somebody say, well, so pray for so-and-so. I'm talking that God's really working in their lives. Man, don't you, I don't have hair to stand up on my head, but if I had it, it would be standing up when somebody says, God's working in somebody's life. It's like my hair standing up. I get goosebumps. Ah, I'm desiring to look into that. Guess what? The holy angels of God who are around God crying, holy, holy, holy. Holy is the Lord God of hosts. They desire to look into what God is doing here down in this place through the gospel. I wonder, what are the angels thinking? I'll tell you what they're thinking. They're thinking, what in the world? Why in the world would God have anything to do with these scallywags, right? That's why they're wondering, why would God want these people? Remember, there's some, remember when the, some of the angels turned against God? God didn't give, didn't give them a second chance. God didn't send them a Savior. He condemned them right away. But why in the world? What does God see in these people? I, that could be what they're wanting. I don't get it. But God is right and God is good. They're, but they're looking into it. They're, desire, they're interested in these things. It's mystery. The word mystery. The word hidden. The word mystery means secret. The word hidden means what? Kept secret. Well, Why? Why would it be a secret? Why would it be kept secret? Well, one reason is because we're dead in sin and we're blind. We couldn't see it. Uh, now, if you had to hide something from somebody, it would really be beneficial for you if you were hiding something from a blind person, wouldn't it? It's easier to hide from a blind person than it is a seeing person, Correct. You ever play hide and seek and you're, you're, you're worried that person who's, who's counting, you're trying to hide if they're really what? One, two, three, four. They're peeking. Right? Because they might can see. If you're trying to hide, it really helps when somebody's blind. I have to hide my low-fat jib peanut butter in, in the house. Andrew. Because <laughs> when they were little... They can eat the regular peanut butter. I have reflux. I can only eat the low fat. <laughs> so when I'm hiding it, I'm looking around. Anybody see where I'm going to put this? <laughs> but uh, so we hide. It's easier to hide when from a blind person. You know what's even easier to hide from? A dead person. Right? It's really hot. Easy to hide from them. But the Bible describes us in our sin that what? We're blinded. Not only blinded, we're what? We're dead in our sin. We can't see it unless God gives us life to see it. But again, why a secret and why hidden? 
Well, one answer is also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says this, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, had they known God's plan to clothe Himself in flesh, to come, to live the perfect life, righteous uh, life that we could not live in the flesh for us, and to take our sin upon Himself as infinite God and die for uh, this vast multitude of sins, and to rise again. If they had known that, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You think the devil, if the devil fully understood what God was going to do, you think he would have crucified? That was his what? That was when Christ crushed his head. He wouldn't have done it. Not only the spiritual rulers, certainly the, the physical rulers, they wouldn't have done it if they understood it. But now, but as it is written... Here's with this verse that, that one of the verses people take out of context by far most in the Bible. Here, are you ready for this? But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Now, what is that verse, verse taken to reference to? How people reference it to? Heaven. That is not about heaven, my friend. That verse has nothing to do, I'm not saying nothing, eventually it may, that's why we were able to go to heaven. But it's not talking about what God has prepared for us in heaven. What's the, what's the context here? The gospel. The gospel. That's the context of the gospel. And it's hidden. It's hidden for the world because they would not have crucified the Savior if they had known it. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. But God has revealed them to us. Has God revealed heaven to you? No, just a possibility. Mean, my being saved and going there one day, but I don't know what all heaven looks like. He hasn't revealed that to me yet. He'll reveal it to me when? When I get there. But he said, but God has revealed them, speaking of these uh, thoughts, these things. God has revealed them to us through His Spirit. God has revealed the gospel to you, I hope, though, right? I hope God has revealed that to you. If you're a child of God, He has. So it has nothing to do with heaven. It has to do with the gospel. And here's what I want, I want to put it this way. It says here, I has not seen nor ear heard. It's not even entered in the heart, in the heart of man what God prepared for those who love Him, for those who would know Him and be His children. What it means is that here, the gospel is not man-made. It is so far from man-made. I haven't studied every religion on the face of the earth, but I've studied the vast majority of the main religions, and they're all the same. Do you know that? All the religions, when people say, you know, all religions are basically the same, agree with them. I'm telling you to agree with them. And Jesus said, all of them, but one, they're all basically the same. They're all do religions. You do enough good that outweighs your bad, and you go to even reincarnation is that way. Right? 
You build up enough good karma, you reincarnate to a better state. Build up good karma in that life, reincarnate to a better state, to eventually you don't have to come back to earth. You reach nirvana, their heaven. So it doesn't matter. It's, it's all what? You be good enough. Man has been, invented a lot of religions, right? A whole lot of religions. They have millions of gods in India. Millions of gods in India. So <laughs> man's very good at inventing a lot of religions. But they all, when you boil them all down, they're all the same. They're due religions. Christianity is the only one that's spelled D-O-N-E, done. What did Christ say on the cross? Done. Finished. It's finished. We couldn't do it, so he did it for us. And again, that's how we know the gospel is of God. Because all the other religions are what? Do religions. You do it. You be good enough. You try to please God. The gospel is the only one that says you can't, so God did it for you. Isn't that glorious? Isn't that matchless? Isn't that wonderful? No one of the angels desire to look into it. And so should we. In our sin, we are dead and blind and we can't see it. No man is, it's never entered the man to, to come up with a religion like that or a, a gospel like that. So if you are a believer, here's the good news. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then God has shared a secret with you. God has shared a secret with you that non-believers simply do not understand. And here's, that, here's the secret, the mystery. Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not like you be trying to, here's the secret, try to become like Christ. That's not it. That's not the gospel. That's the fruit of the gospel. But the gospel is this, Christ in you, the hope of glory. When I stand before God on Judgment Day, I'm not going to stand before that sorry, low-down sinner, Jay Lawrenson. I'm going to stand before God as who? Christ Jesus. Christ in me. He is my righteousness from start to finish, 100%. I'm trusting Him in what He did, the finished work of Christ. It's not me. It's all Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And now because that's happened in me, and I'm born again child of God, the Holy Spirit works in me to this man who lives in this sinful flesh, not a sinful heart, but a sinful flesh, remember that Christ has sanctified me to make me more like He is as I grow in Christ. But as for the uh, eternal deal, it's, it's done. It's set and done. In the Old, Te the Old Testament uh, predicted the coming of the Messiah and that the Gentiles would partake of His salvation. The Old Testament presented all this. And that also that the old Gentiles would be with the Messiah and the Messiah would be with the Gentiles. But it did not reveal that the Messiah would actually live in each member of the church which was going to be mostly made up of Gentiles. They did not understand that. That believers, both Jews and Gentiles, now possess the surpassing riches of the indwelling Christ is the glorious revealed mystery throughout the New Testament. Now, we've already seen that all the fullness of God dwells within Jesus, right? We saw that earlier. Uh, I, I preached on that a few Sundays back when Paul, Pastor Paul was gone. But... Uh, and now we learn that Jesus dwells within the believer. So all the fullness of God dwelled in Christ, 
And now we're learning that Christ dwells in us. So as we move from, we move from God in Christ to Christ now in us. It says in Romans 8, verse 10, But if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. This fleshly body we live in is sinful and dead to God. Yet our spirit, the new person inside of us, the new creation, is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised up Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. And even one day God's going to raise up this old fleshly body with a new body. And that's why the apostle Paul says, verse 28, Him we preach. Him we proclaim. It's all about who? It's all about Him. Him. I know there are a lot of preachers that aren't preaching Him. There are people. They're preaching prosperity. They're preaching uh, happiness or fulfillment or self-love. They're preaching a lot of things, but they're not preaching Him. Did you hear about the, the reverend that opened up Congress in prayer? Uh, this is last week. Uh, uh, he opened up Congress with prayer, the representative Emmanuel uh, Cleaver. Every time I hear Cleaver, I think of Beaver Cleaver. Leave it to Beaver. Or don't leave it to this one. Uh, Democrat from Missouri. Here's his prayer. I'm going to give you word-for-word word prayer on this. Are you ready? This is the so-called Methodist reverend. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us. Now, this was prayed over Congress... And then we saw a couple of days later, or the day later, what happened there. So his prayer was not answered. May the Lord lift up the light of his countenance upon us and give us peace. Did Congress get peace? Peace in our families, peace across this land, and dare I ask, O oh Lord, peace even in this chamber. What happened in the chamber after that prayer? Bad stuff. Bad stuff by bad people. We ask it in the... Are you ready for this? No, you're not. You say you're ready, but you're not. Are you ready? No. We ask this in the name of the monotheistic God, comma, Brahma. Brahma is the, the, one of the Hindu gods, the, God, the Hindu god that created things. And God, known by many names, by many different faiths, a man and a woman. <laughs> that was the prayer of a Methodist preacher. Is this Methodist preacher proclaiming him? We got one elected senator in this state. Is he proclaiming him? Absolutely not. But I tell you what, there are other preachers that aren't proclaiming the hymn either. They're proclaiming another hymn, another president on the other side. And they're just as guilty. I mean, I, I, mean, I saw a poster of somebody having a picture of Jesus. We don't even know what Jesus, a white Jesus with long hair. We don't even know what Jesus looked like. But a picture of Jesus wearing a MAGA hat. That's horrible. And, uh, and somebody said, a poster that said, uh, Jesus is my Savior, but Trump is my president. Okay. 
I would not say, I, would not, I love Pastor Paul. But I would not say, Jesus is my Savior, but Pastor Paul is my pastor. I wouldn't do that. That's horrible the way that sounds together. I would say, Jesus is my Savior, and I'm very happy to be a part of West, uh, uh, I'm happy, very happy to be a part of Lakewood, Lakewood Baptist Church. And Pastor Paul is my a pastor. That's way different than saying, Jesus is my Savior, but Trump is my president. You like putting them to... That is not good, people. So you have them on both sides. And so, Him we proclaim. Here's what He says. Warning. Warning every man. Warning everybody. And I'm glad we have a pastor that warns everybody. You know, I, I kind of like, I've been a pastor for many years. I'm not at the moment. Uh, but people didn't like it because I warned everybody. I don't care what side you're on. I don't care. The truth offends. Listen, the truth steps all over my toes before it does yours. It beats me up before it beats you up. So after I get beat up by studying it, I don't mind if it beats you up a little bit. <laughs> I'm not trying to beat you up, but it's, the truth is the truth. Warn every man and teaching every man. Warning, it says. Now, if someone, if something, as we wrap this up, if something, uh, it's something that we don't like to do, doing, because it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable warning people. Don't like to do it. Right? Like if I said, you know, Dale. Dale, you sorry scallywag, you better burn or turn you worm, turn you worm. You're headed for a hot place in hell. Is that a warning? Yeah. <laughs> it's not too comfortable, though, is it? It's kind of awkward, isn't it? Well, that's not the way we're to do it. That's not the way we're to warn people. We're to warn people. The Bible says, let your conversation be what? Full of grace, seasoned with salt. We're, yeah, we're to warn people. But we're to warn them in the right way. And he said in teaching people, teaching people. The thing is, if people don't see it, it's because they're what? They're blind and they're dead in sin. There was a time when you didn't see it, if you're a believer, when you were blind and dead in sin, right? So do you have the right to get up on a high horse and look at all these people who don't see it and don't understand it? No, but by the grace of God, you would be out there too. We need to be humbled. We need to do it humbly. But we warn and, and teach every man, as he says here. And teaching is... Is the part is, is the more positive aspect of it where we're getting into the sound doctrine of God's word and teaching. And that's what we're trying to do here on Sunday mornings. Every Sunday morning in these small groups that guys, you need to be in that. You need to be a part of what's happening on Sunday morning before the worship service. Preaching and, and, and warning and, and teaching every man. In all wisdom, that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. I want you to look around. Is there anyone, young or old, male or female, that you said, well, we can leave that one behind. We don't really need to focus on that person. Look around. Anyone in here you're willing to say that about? Oh, well, as long as we, as long as we got a, a so-and-so and so-and-so, we will only need so-and-so if they leave. Is that, is that the right attitude? What did Paul care about? Everyone. 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 And he said, to this end also labor, striving according to his working. 
Are you willing to work? Start talking about work. It's hard work. Listen, we can't do, we can't present every man complete, mature in Christ Jesus by just coming in here on Sunday morning and sitting in a seat, attending a worship service and going home. That's not going to get it done, my friend. That might be a word of warning that's done in a humble way. It's a word of teaching. That's not going to get it done, guys. We've got to step it up. There's more that, God, that needs to be done. And it's all of our job as a church to do this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you so much for your word. God, and we all need to hear it. There are all of us, every one of us here in the Lord. We need to hear what you have to say by your grace and mercy and the help of your Holy Spirit. And then we all need to do something about it. And I pray that we will, Lord. And I pray that uh, through this, your word, our lives are truly changed. We won't have like seed that's sown by the wayside and the fowl of the air come and take it away or thorns and uh, weeds suck out the life of it and never bears fruit. But I pray this word will fall into fertile ground and will bear fruit to your honor and your glory. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Our praise team is going to come and lead us in a dismissal song. And this is exactly what we need to do. We need to turn our eyes to him.
Praise God from all blessings. 